do people become CEOs? How do they really spend their time? And if you're not one already, how might you become a CEO? My name's Matt Crabtree. I'm the founder of a consulting company called Positive Momentum. And in this series of podcasts, I'm going to be asking CEOs from a range of different organizations tough questions about their past, present, and of course, the future. We'll learn who influenced them most, what they defend in their schedule at all costs, and the big changes they see coming up on their horizon. This is Meet the CEO. My guest today is Julie Harris, CEO since 2019 of Comparison Technologies, a private equity-owned business that provides millions of consumers with access to the best deals on their energy, broadband, digital TV, and even mobile phones, both through their own sites, as well as by powering comparison engines for the likes of Sky and Compare the Market. Julie, welcome to Meet the CEO. Thank you very much. Lovely to be invited. Well, Julie, Comparison Technologies, it's your uh, it's your third time, I think, as a CEO. So let me start by asking you the question I ask all of my guests. Why did you become a CEO? That's such a good question, Matt. And and I have to say, it's it's really had me thinking over the last 24 hours or so. And I, I suppose when I look back at all the different roles throughout my career that led up to me becoming a CEO and sort of more importantly, wanting to step into that role, there's one thread that's run through all of them, and that was around challenge and change. And I was very often parachuted into fix things, launch products, turn failing businesses around. And I was always really highly motivated by that and really loved leading teams through that. And, that, and as I got more senior in organizations, that desire to make a positive impact for, for our customers, for our people, and for our shareholders became a real driving force for me. So I guess if I want to try and put it in a nutshell for you, I I wanted to lead, I do want to lead in the fullest sense, and that's strategically and culturally, and to do both of those things together with the biggest impact, and, and also to do it authentically, which for me is really important. I could see that becoming a CEO was a way to do that and to put to good use all the learnings I'd had, good and bad, along the way, um, and and really kind of use that to the best possible end, really. And I guess the other thing is I that I don't really think I was conscious of on the way was that growing into a CEO role, that I was building my experience and I was adding to my toolkit and that those skills are really transferable. And that has allowed me to step into new markets and new industries and expand my horizons and and has opened up so many new doors. I, I think maybe the other reality, Matt, is I make a terrible number two. So there also may have been some necessity in there as well. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. But challenge and change, you've certainly had no shortage of that in your various tours, I know. Um, so, so let's talk a bit more specifically about, about just the day-to-day. So what part of your day is sacrosanct? What what in your incredibly busy schedule is preserved at all costs in your schedule? Well, I think this has taken on much greater significance for me um, during lockdown, so over the last 12 months. And that thing that I hold most dear and preserve at all costs is sitting down for dinner with my husband every evening. Uh, My daughter moved into her own home last year, so it's just the two of us. 
and we sit at the dining table. We often have candles lit um, and I'm fully present, not half reading my emails, which I'm afraid I have a terrible habit of doing, but just, you know, enjoying delicious food that's uh, always cooked by him, by the way. Um, and it's become a really important punctuation to my day. Uh, and particularly, as I say, in lockdown, and, and just to stop, breathe, relax, laugh and and decompress. And I'm hugely protective uh, of that time and I value it massively. It's interesting, isn't it, whether that sort of thing will stay with us. A, a candlelit dinner every evening sounds fantastic. Do you think it's something that will endure beyond the limitations of lockdown? You know, I really hope it will, because I think it's, you know, it's a real connector for us. And 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 I think if you really want to have deep rest and turn your your brain off for a bit, actually being really present uh, and talking about everyday things and and doing something lovely, even if it's for half an hour, has has really helped. Um, and I I really would like to preserve that. Whether that dinner ends up being at nine o'clock at night rather than seven thirty at night, maybe maybe another thing. Very well said. Very well said. All right. Well, let's get into the sort of side of your day-to-day running of your your business and you know over the third time that you're doing CEOs no doubt you're developing a a formula now for what you do so uh, maybe a tricky question but what's more important a great team or a great strategy uh hands down for me that's a great team um I was I was given advice many years ago by someone I really admire uh who used to say to me get yourself an a-team and I firmly believe if you have a high performing team, they will shape the strategy with you and they will continue to challenge and improve it. And I'm a massive fan of clarity and I'm a massive fan of a clear plan. But the A team has to be the priority for me, because I think um, if you have an amazing team, you can do anything. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, that organisations will spend a lot of time on strategy. Have you found over the years that actually you've got to get the team right before you invest the time on strategy. Yes, I, because I think actually you create better strategy when you've got the right people in the room. Uh, and, you know, a strategy is a set of choices, isn't it, ultimately? And you need smart people who can work together to make those choices and implement them. Otherwise, a strategy is just a kind of a great piece of paper sitting in a drawer somewhere. So, uh, you know, my experience over the years, and, and I... And as I say, I love a plan. I feel quite uncomfortable uh, when I don't have a plan, but I, I always want to get that team in first. I mean, I love that, that, you know, strategy is a series of choices and you need that A team who make good choices, right? Otherwise, you're making all the choices yourself, aren't you? And really, uh, if you're leading authentically, as you describe, the team and you are making the choices together, but you need that A team to be able to do that. Exactly. And, and I think you make better choices uh, because you have challenge, you have different viewpoints, you have experts in the room, uh, and you need to continue to challenge those choices. Absolutely. So um, you talked a little bit about, you know, somebody gave you advice, uh, you know, some time ago that, you know, you've got to, got to get the team right. Who has most influenced the way you lead today? I have been so lucky. Um, I've worked for some amazing people who've who've really shaped my career and I've learned a lot from. And and my father, who ran his own business and was probably the first feminist I ever met, um, really shaped the way I lead. But I think I'm going to choose a leader that I worked with over 20 years ago, so quite early on in my career, 
Uh, it was Sue Hawkin, uh, who's managing director at EMAP, and that was in EMAP's heyday when it was a really extraordinary place to work and we were winning awards every week. Uh, and Sue had an all-female executive team, which was really unusual. You know, over 20 years ago, that was really unusual. And she was brilliant uh, at nurturing talent and bringing the best out of her teams. And way back then, I was a sales director. And um, and I, I remember, actually, I was on maternity leave and I was due to come back. And Sue called me about my return and um, I, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that often people assume when you've got a six month old baby that you might wish to ease your way back into your role or maybe even step back for a bit. And she called me and she said, uh, we've got this magazine, it's never made any money. I'm going to give it one last chance and I'd like you to be the publisher of it and give it your best shot to turn it around. And we'll teach you all the things you need to know about publishing and running a PL. and and. I think after I picked myself up off the floor, uh, I, I agreed to do the job. Um, that, that magazine was L Decoration, by the way, still going strong all these years later. And, uh, and I rocked up in her office on my first day of that new role filled with trepidation. And she, she kind of filled me in on the job. And then she said to me, um, see that box of tissues over there? When you're missing Olivia or you're just exhausted and need a quiet moment and, and maybe a, a quiet weep you just come in here and you close the door and you do that and you know that was such an extraordinary light bulb moment for me because this leader saw me as a, a sort of ambitious team member who wanted to give more and do more but she also saw me as a mum and a human being and a, and a woman and, um, you know, Sue was super smart, highly ambitious, absolutely not afraid to make tough, tough decisions and, you know, and really no pushover and could be quite challenging, but also incredibly compassionate and funny and real and human. And I think, you know, having cut my teeth in national press, it was the first time that I realised that being a successful leader didn't mean aggressive dictatorial sort of testosterone fueled management and a uh, brilliant role model great mentor always knew I was ready for the next challenge before I did and uh, however hard the work she always made me feel I could do it and take risks and and not fear failure and, and I think if you can create an environment like that you can achieve anything and uh, and if I have even half the impact on my team that she had on me, I'd I'd be really thrilled. Well, that's really remarkable. What a beautiful story to both treat you like a human being, to see you as a complete person, um, but also to be able to see things in you that you hadn't yet seen in yourself and to give you that confidence that you, you could achieve on this magazine that had one last go. I don't think any of us will look at L Decoration quite the same again now, knowing knowing that it, it nearly passed. And and between the two of you and your teams, you 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 brought it back, both with confidence and, and humility. It's a beautiful story. Um, Julie, talk to us a little bit about the future. You know, we're in. Uh, we've we've lived through this extraordinary change uh, that the pandemic has brought upon us, but. There are many changes facing you uh, as a CEO, not only um, in the business that you're in, but more broadly speaking, uh, on the business landscape. What's the biggest change on your particular horizon? 
So I, th- I think the thing that's really preoccupying me most at the moment is is the future of how we work and how we design the future after the experience of the last 12 months. And you know, in, in my business, there will be big industry shifts. Um, we will be under new ownership. We're a private equity backed business. So that's inevitable at some point over the next few years. And that would be a big change. But I think the most important change and and the most important change to get right is the operating structure of the future. And because that impacts every person and every part of the business. And, you know, it's really thinking deeply about how do we harness the power and the creativity of the team, but with the flexibility to work in the most productive and balanced way. We've learned things about that over the last 12 months. How do we ensure greater diversity and inclusion through new ways of working? How do we design our physical spaces to reflect the need for collaboration and ideation? And and how do we build new communities and way to communicate? Also, how do you become part of building a culture when you can't always see it or feel it? And I just think it's such an important moment for us as leaders to not waste this brilliant opportunity to create a better world of work. And I don't actually know what it looks like right now. Uh, or how far-reaching that change will be. But I do know that it needs to be big and deliberate and impactful. So uh, I really want to kind of lean into that change and 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 get it right as much as, as we possibly can without really knowing what the answer is. It, it feels really exciting moment, doesn't it? And, and the, a, a, a tiny silver lining to an awful grey cloud that's brought so much sadness and tragedy that we can out out of the ashes of the pandemic but build uh, working environments that are different and is your view that that they can be more diverse and inclusive as a consequence of this experience do you see opportunities for that or or does it worry you uh, that that the diversity and inclusion challenge that we continue to need to address might be exacerbated by the new world of work? I actually see it as an opportunity and and I am hugely excited about it. And I think from a diversity and inclusion point of view, you know, we can work very, very flexibly. We have certainly in our business, we have proved that we've had pretty much everybody working from home uh, for a very long period of time. And that means that our talent pool becomes much bigger. We don't, we're not hiring people just in, in locations. We've got, you know, a a much better and bigger reach and that can only be good for diversity and inclusion it also includes people who perhaps can't come into the office um, or have uh, you know neurodiversity or disability and and I think that's really good for us to to build that diversity into our business and I really want to make sure that we capture that uh, as part of our future structure and our future ways of working. And I think we've learned so much. It's been forced upon us, of course, but we just need to hold on to the good stuff and understand um, what we're missing and how to be very deliberate about communication and bringing people together and building communities when you're not in the same room all the time. Very nice. Very nice. I love your optimism around that and your passion and energy, but also the openness. I think there are a lot of people trying to be certain about what's coming up. And actually, the willingness to just say, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to lean into it. And we're going to find the opportunities to uh, build an organisation that's different and more inclusive and more dynamic and still culturally whole, still uh, culturally fulfilling. It's um, 
it's going to be a really, really interesting few months and years ahead of us. Um, Julie, we're going to be running out of time, and I suspect um, Seth will be busy cooking, so uh, we, we need to get on with this. Um, uh, the top, I, I want to ask you, just finally, I ask every guest, um, there may be people listening who who aspire to become a CEO either very soon or one day. Um, I'm going to press you for a final top three tips for anybody who's aspiring to become a CEO, who who has it uh, in them or feel they have it in them to become a CEO. What's your top three tips? Um, the, the first one probably people have heard a few times, which is that it can get a bit lonely at times. So I would really encourage people to find their network, you know, if that's family or friends. I have the most amazing group of women in my uh, support network who lift me up, get me through tough times, celebrate the wins and give me lots of wise counsel. And and I have what I call my dream team. And, and Matt, you are very much in that team. Uh, people I can call when I need to, who will step in with brilliant advice, practical solutions, you know, great expertise and support, um, and to, who have been by my side through the last CEO roles and, and generally always get a call. Uh, so that, that would be tip number one. Uh, I think tip number two is that the path isn't always a straight line. And sometimes you have to go sideways or even backwards to go forwards. And I think my biggest learnings about myself and my capability uh, was when I stepped sideways and, you know, learning that sort of breadth and depth and, and multiple experiences are super valuable. And, and so is learning from failures and knockbacks and building that resilience along the way. So I would say don't let job titles or a sort of assumed linear path stop you from finding a new and more interesting route uh, to get to where you want to go. And then finally, tip number three, and I did struggle to keep it to three, I think sort of keep being curious and asking lots of questions. I think people often think that CEOs should have all the answers or know everything and and the reality is, as a CEO, you need to ask more questions than ever. And, and I think over time, you learn to ask the insightful questions and, more importantly, truly listen to the answers. And better still, ask, ask those questions to people up and down the business. And, and that way, you'll really get to experience and understand the business at all levels and, and also be prepared to find some of the answers a bit uncomfortable. And I think, you know, if it does start to feel a bit uncomfortable, you probably know you're in the right place and starting to, to really understand what's going on in an organisation and, and more importantly, where you can make the biggest impact. Julie, that is so helpful. Curiosity, being willing to take the odd sideways move to build that competency and that strength and, and building people around you both internally and externally who who lift you up who, who give you input who maybe on occasion challenge you it's um sage advice indeed julie i want to thank you so very much on behalf of our listeners for uh, taking part today it's been a fascinating discussion uh, we wish you well with comparison technologies and look forward to talking to you again very thanks soon. so much matt it's been a pleasure Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Julie as much as I did. Some real gems in there for leaders actually at all levels. I love the way she describes her why as being about both challenge and change and how she aspires to lead as effectively culturally as she does strategically. 
fascinating to learn that the part of the day she protects at all costs right now is that candlelit dinner every evening with her husband Seth. Such a great reminder for us all in that, to be fully present in those moments and as Julie said so well, to stop, breathe, relax and to laugh. No surprise to me that she chose a great team over a great strategy. But I also like the way that she conveyed that it's always the former that leads to the latter. I love hearing about those who've influenced leaders like Julie and wasn't a story about Sue Hawkins so inspiring. But let's not forget her small nod to her father, the first feminist she ever met. An intriguing little comment that I'll definitely be asking more about the next time she and I catch up. Julia reminded us all not to waste this important moment of opportunity to think deeply about building a better world of work, one that's genuinely more diverse and inclusive than ever. Now, she's certainly an optimist on the topic, isn't she? But also, she's a beacon of openness. She doesn't seem to feel the need right now to make some grand proclamation. Instead, she wants to listen, to learn, to take the time with her leaders, to think about the right steps as people return to the world of work following the pandemic. Finally, her top three tips for aspiring CEOs seem to be pretty useful for leaders at every level by the sounds of it. First of all, build a brilliantly supportive network. Second, be okay with the odd sideways move. And thirdly, my personal favorite leadership competency, never stop being curious. Julie, thanks so much. And thanks to you for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please click subscribe so that we can share the whole series with you. And of course, if you have a moment, give us a rating. I look forward to introducing you to another great leader very soon on the next episode of Meet the CEO.